You're listening to another episode of Battles with Bits of Rubber, starring Stuart Bray and Todd Debrasini. <laughs> I kind of fluffed all that up. Can we start again? Sure. <laughs> I don't know why. I wasn't quite sure what what's wrong with me today. It's it, I mean, cheeseburger me, me, coma. Me. I think maybe. <laughs> I'm drinking water, by the way. I'm trying to... Yeah. Trying to. I had a headache earlier. I think I just haven't been drinking enough fluids. Not that yeah. it's particularly warm here, but there we go. I don't drink nearly enough water. It's one I of those things. You, it all the time. you can drink the tap water there. Yeah, we can. It's it's okay, but I, I we filter it anyway. And then I, I like to buy distilled water. I used to have a distiller to make my own distilled water. Uh, All right. But I prefer distilled water to any other any other water, just because there's literally nothing, nothing in, in it. it. And yeah. And it's it's good for sucking toxic shit out of your body. Yeah, fair play. And if you do got, use distilled water, nothing, yeah. I, I use distilled water. To, I drink it. I use it um, for spritz and stuff. Uh, it's 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 good just because it's H two O with nothing else in it. No minerals. No no nothing. So you're not going to get contaminants out of distilled water. So it's mm-hmm. great for using for lots of different things. Sweet. Chugga chugga chugga. Ah. Got to keep yeah. yourself de. I was gonna say keep yourself dehydrated, but that's the opposite. Well, you I have been dehydrated. So, yeah. Yeah. I don't drink nearly enough. Well, do you find in some you instances I drink too much, but I don't drink enough water. <laughs> <laughs> Tequila. It makes me happy. Oh, so there we go. So, what do you think of the Little John interview? What a what a great guy! He's a, a soft voice. I love his accent. He's got a really Listen, nice voice, isn't he? Listening to both of you talk is uh, kind of getting me aroused. <laughs> Not entirely sure I know where to put that. It's <laughs> <laughs> what the no. vicar said to the the actress. Um, yeah, so yeah, we had a really really nice chat. I hadn't seen him for a long time, and uh, yeah, he just came to the house and we chatted for a, a, a good long while actually before we started recording and it's one of those things where like we do like we'll just have a chat like we did yesterday and and then suddenly you kind of go oh shit that was really good we should have saved that for the recording right but, uh, uh despite all well, of then, that then it would have been a really long interview because you guys recorded for an hour and a half yeah probably a little bit more than that because i probably nibbled it down and trim bits off but That's- uh yeah, quite, inf- quite informative, and and what a career! Yeah, man, he's a really good sculptor. I mean, well, he's just a good artist generally, but he's a he's a he's one of those people as well that makes you. It's interesting because he thinks about stuff in a different way, and he he doesn't shy away from difficulty, um, and it's quite impressive when you see someone live that way. Yeah, and um, and I love that he's, you know adventurous he's uh he's curious he's he's done pretty much done with uh the makeup effects business and he's moved on to fine art and killing that yeah absolutely it's just it's it's like uh it's like watching you know when you see rick baker he's retired but he's he's not he's retired to something rather than from something you know like steve laporte told us 
yeah it's just yeah you just he just has you know there's so much he wants to do um and it's almost like the film industry got in the way of that really <laughs> in a kind of weird way and it's like that with john he's kind of yeah he's 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 as prolific as ever and you see some of his sculpts and stuff i'll Quite put some resume. in the show notes Oh man! And did you see his Ray sculpt? You know Ray from Star Wars. He did that for Two Swords, and it's just just lovely. It's yeah, just really nice. Yeah. And, and, and the arch. He, he talked about the the Archer sculpture. Yeah, that, yeah, that's gorgeous. Yeah, I mean, what's nice when you see people who do makeup effectsy things moving into the, the fine art stuff. Typically, we we're so used to finish and getting poor texture and all that kind of detail stuff. It's quite nice when you see the freed up stuff like the either a, a sculpt like the archer that he did which mm -hmm. isn't as polished as a as a prosthetic needs to be so all the attention is in the form and you know all, all yeah. that tight stuff but there's 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 something quite delicious about seeing somebody work that way because they they, they don't need to get into the you know the the poor texture stuff it's like when you watch i don't know anyone you see like um I love it, uh, Sebastian Lockman stuff. You know, he'll, you, you know, if you see some of his pictures before the piece is finished, and it's right. just like this, it doesn't need to be finished for you to know how good this is going to look because there's enough inf information there for you to see what's well, yeah, going to like, be. Like and, Norman Cabrera you know. has been been posting some. Oh some my work god, in, those work masks! In progress, uh, yeah, masks that he's making, and you, you look at the rough block in stages, and you go, "Oh man, is this going to be cool?" Yeah, because the thing is, if you are a sculptor and you're you're looking at somebody's progress, there's something about seeing the tool marks in it because it leaves evidence of the decisions behind. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm, yeah. So you can actually see the tool marks and how, you know, like the the the, the, the it, well, it, it's, it's, a, what, it's showing the working out kind of thing. You're visualizing the thought process. I'm getting a signal where it says there is poor network connection. Yeah, your face just I may have locked to up. Cut this and then redial. I'm gonna do that. Can you hear me? I'm... Hello, Stewart. Hello. It cut out on me. Yeah, your face locked up. Yeah, that happens sometimes. <laughs> I'm still um, recording. Oh, me too. Um, yeah, so there's something quite delicious about the the fact that you can see the tool marks because it gives you you know clues as to, as to how how it was sculpted yeah it kind which of is quite lovely visualizing the thought process yeah and it has no place in a finished makeup that's got to be poor perfect but it's kind of a shame sometimes when that just becomes like a a bit of a chore because it feels like the creative stuff has happened in that rough kind of you know semi-finished kind of uh, surface yeah and sometimes i prefer lovely. that yeah which just looks kind of cool but uh so yeah there's there's plenty of that and there's there's that kind of um you know when you see people that are very additive in there how they sculpt so the little blobs that are added bit by bit by bit and there's not a whole lot of carving in it has a very different kind of finish because it's been created up rather than carved in yeah do you know what i mean and mm -hmm. that that's that's some good sculpting though because that's that's putting the blobs in the right place um that's a very very nice kind of pleasing well, there are finish, quite a yeah. few of our peers who uh, are quite uh, prolific fine artists as well as makeup artists. You know, Joel Harlow and Bill Corso you know, are terrific sculptors. Um, yeah. Lee Joyner. Oh, my God. Lee, Lee Joyner's work is 
is amazing. He's he's one of the examples that I show my sculpture students, you know, along with Miles Tevis and and George Uchel, Kazu's mm. work. You know, it's, it's the people who work in our business, you know, do some amazing stuff that I am proud to proud to be associated with this field. That's awesome. Have you seen any of Arian's paintings as well? Yes. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're incredible. I mean, he he was on. He showed me some pictures. He was on Maleficent. Uh, Cross someone was that eight years ago, seven eight years ago, and met him one. on that. And he he showed me some pictures of things he'd done, and you know, his oil painting and just incredible stuff and there's a lot with lockdown happening there's a lot of people you know picked up brushes and and done arty things because they've got the time to do it and it's mm. quite amazing how many people do stuff stuff that i just wouldn't even thought of and it's 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 quite a nice it's not a nice time but it's nice to see because of what's happening that people that have got time in their hands you know are putting a lot of it into making cool stuff and it's 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 really really nice um, so yeah, this this conversation between me and John this happened before all the lockdown business. So we are in the same room, but it was okay to do that then. It seems like a lifetime ago where you could be in the same room with someone. Um, that's going to take a little while to get back used to that, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, actually, kind of a non sequitur. Uh, today happens to be V Neal's birthday. Oh, happy birthday, V! And I, I chatted with her uh, via text this morning, and she was going to be spending spending the day in her backyard with some friends but she was was very clear about maintaining social distancing oh that's awesome though yeah oh happy birthday so that's the 13th is today isn't it today is the 13th of may so now that we've mentioned that i've got to get this episode out in short order otherwise it's going to seem like a long time ago so yeah i have to put this out soon it's a good one I think so. It was good fun. And you know what? Listening to it again, this often happens when like, we'll record something. I remember it happened when we um, did the Don Lanning episode. Do you remember? Like, we were yeah. both there. But then when I listen to it again later and edit it down, I, I go back there. And I'm like, I'm as energized as I was at the time. And I can hear it in my voice at the time. And it happens oh, again. Oh, sure. No, I, I can remember where i was sitting in in the studio yeah leaning forward like yeah <laughs> from the waist well, like sucking it up it was awesome. said. yeah it was very cool that was a that was a good one we had to do that in two parts yeah because we just didn't stop talking about four hours it was brilliant yeah it was very cool we were trying to find his studio which we found but i don't think he was there yet or something and we were a little early so we turned around we went, we found a, a place that did pie and coffee and i'd never had pie before <laughs> like as a thing i've had pie but what i mean is it's not like a thing like you don't really you have have a cup of coffee just and a pie. Slice of pie yeah it was amazing it's like yeah coffee and pie and it was i had pecan pie i think it was amazing i don't remember cool. i think i, did I have cherry I yeah it was it was good <laughs> very twin <laughs> completely beach, unrelated to sculpting but uh <laughs> it was uh it was uh mm, mm, yeah there we go now i want pie um but yeah so that was that was a good day but uh yeah whenever i listen to the podcast again and edit i'm, I'm always Im- impressed with how excited i get talking to people when i do the interviews and then i'm excited again when i listen back to it because it's just i don't know it just it the only reason we do this is because we care about the subject and we love it and everything and it's and there's so many people we still want to talk to yes yeah there is and it's one of those things where i really like being in the same room as the people we talk to it's nice yeah. doing it on, online but it, it, it's it's such a different thing that's the one drawback with me being in colorado um because it's not you know a hotbed of motion picture and television production yeah 
Uh, so well, me getting in the same room with with people is not not quite as easy as you getting getting in the same room with with folks yeah. over over on your side of the water. Yeah, I kind of uh, live closer to it, I suppose, but there's nothing I can do at the moment because of how everything is. But it'll calm down. Yep, and we'll be back to it eventually, I'm sure. Anyway, um, I think we'll uh, we'll get stuck into it. So so here's here's my chat with uh, with little John. Enjoy. <laughs> Okay, so I'm mono track 23. There we go. Can I just say I'm really happy being mono track 23. <laughs> <laughs> That's when you woke up this morning, you're like, I want to be mono track 23. I want to be mono track 23. I'm hoping we haven't used up all our good ideas, but we were chatting about stuff sculpturally. I don't even know where this is going to go because I've got all these different strands of things I want to tie up. I don't know. Sculpting is good. Sculpting. And we're drinking hot water, which I'm ashamed to say this is the first time I've had a cup of hot water that didn't have a tea bag in it. And I'm ashamed to say that I just always drink hot water. It's good, though. Mm. It's probably very good for your digestive system. I think we probably just adulterate things too much, don't we, to make things more interesting and put flavours in. And then you become habituated to it. And now it's like when I make a thing, I make a tea. So I'll drink like five, six cups of tea a day without thinking about it. Because I gave up tea a long, long time ago. Mm-hmm. I don't feel the need because it's addictive, isn't it? It is. Yeah, it becomes a stimulant that you need in order to function. And that's not good. And when you don't have it. But mind you, I drink Roy Bosch, mm. which it doesn't have that um, caffeine in. Yeah. And I like one of them in the afternoon and I kind of miss it if I don't have it. You can have that because that's, yeah, no caffeine. That's pretty good. Mm-hmm. Or is it just you don't want to be dictated to by a thing? Oh, I love not being dictated to by an addiction. Yeah. He says with an addiction. I was but, telling you earlier on, isn't it, about fasting? I mean, addicted to that. Yeah. Now the microphone's on and now we're recording. I've all dried up. <laughs> and all, all the philosophical arguments just fucking sapped out the room. And I'm like, ah, what's your favorite color? <laughs> So, um, not being funny, but it is an honour to have you. Why do you say that, Stu? Because I, I told you earlier about uh, like when I was a teenager, and this was all pre, pre internet. So I, you know, the the information you had about something specific that you may have liked, like makeup effects, was scant. Yeah, you know, and you had a lot of publications, but most of them were American. So it was things like. Fangoria and all that kind of stuff. And I remember reading in a Fangoria uh, and they were talking about Hellraiser and they were talking about, uh, I think it might have been the second or third one. And they were talking about this guy that had a prosthetic on in the, in the, in the, in the story of, you know, this article. And I remember thinking, almost seeing the words in my head, what is a prosthetic? Because whatever that is, that sounds like something I want to be involved in. Um, and obviously I'm aware now of what it is, but that led me to get hold of different things. And then I remember when uh, Nightbreed came out, there was a documentary on TV about a stuntman and he was going through his equity papers and all this kind of stuff. And then there was, this, the cameras followed him to when he got to do a few days as a stuntman on Nightbreed. Oh my God. And it was based on this book called Cabal by Clive Barker. And I read the book because I wanted to know about the story before it, the movie came out and then I saw the movie and it was just at the time one of the biggest British effects films you know it was a horror movie or you know it belonged to that genre where you had creatures and prosthetics mm-hmm. all the things I was interested in and um and I remember uh when the Nightbreed Chronicles came out and it was a book 
and you know going through it and i just studied every single picture and there's a picture of you as a as a breed member in makeup and it just said little john like this and um it just kind of logged in my head all these different things all these names uh when i worked on mary raleigh which was my first job as animated a animated extras in shepparton in 94 and that's when uh i think you were working on judge dread and you were sculpting these panels Mm-hmm. and then we met there and I remember thinking holy shit that's little John and gosh it's because you know you, I think everyone you go through life and new opportunities come and present themselves and you either take them or you don't yeah. but you you never think oh I'm this is actually going to be important and and when I got into films I was just so happy so thrilled but I never thought oh this will be important. In fact, I remember watching Hellraiser and because that was my first glimpse into the world of film, so I saw um, walls that were only just a bit of um, ply and Mm -hmm. wallpaper on and I'm like, God, that looks fake. And then when I watched the film, I thought, God, that looks fake because I I felt like the magic had been dispelled for me and I could never see it again. It would take me a while to learn how to watch films and just forget about everything I know so, so while that's all going on and you're just carrying on that, that you might actually be making uh, a bit of history, you never really think, do you? Yeah, it's true. The amount of times I've worked on things that I read the script on it and I'm like, this sounds terrible because it doesn't exist yet. It's just it's mm. words on a page. And then, you know, it becomes Saving Private Ryan. <laughs> and it was just like, I remember reading like stuff and it was, it was my interpretation of the dialogue mm. that was the problem. Because obviously it's not, it's not, it's not necessarily the words itself. I mean, I I remember thinking when I read it, oh, there was a bit, I think, where it said, look to the man to the left of you, the man to the right of you or something, and two of you aren't going to make it. Or something. It was some kind of like macho kind of, oh. kind of bullshit thing. And maybe they changed all that because obviously the tone of the movie was completely different. But it's happened a lot where I've looked at things and thought, oh. But yeah, you're right. You don't, you have a conceit. You think you know it's going to pan out because you project this imaginary mm-hmm. future. But then, yeah, that sometimes yeah, the, the the things you don't think about become very significant, and the things you think were sure fire wins just fizzle don't. out. Yeah, isn't that that's the shocking thing, isn't it? When you think, oh, I remember working on a commercial. Was it my first ever commercial? And I, and for three weeks, I put everything I had because that's the way I was, and um. And there it was on the advert, three seconds. And I was like, hold on, what? How can that be that I could spend so much time on this insignificant little thing? Yeah. And then none. <laughs> and then it's... <laughs> like, well, that was worth it. <laughs> Shocking, isn't it? Mm. That happens a lot. That's a common theme with this kind of stuff. You think about the disproportionate amount of effort that goes into something that you, know, uh, you see of it, really. It's uh, kind of, you know. <laughs> that happens all the time, where it ends up the cutting room floor. Which is why I think it's important to care about the process of doing it. That matters. Getting paid <laughs> so you can come back and do it again. Um, but but enjoying the process of doing it. I do think my time in film, I want to say, I don't know how true it is, but I want to say maybe flippantly that I would have paid them to let me do what I was doing. I was so, I just, even when I was doing stuff that I didn't particularly like. So um, this morning I was looking at um, on Instagram some effects um and there was a lot of gore stuff and i'm really not interested and don't really like it but i did my time in it and um 
And at the time, I remember saying, I think I was on an interview actually saying, uh, you know, if I'm doing a severed head, I want to do the best severed head I can do. I think that that's the thing that that, that, that draws people to this business, isn't it? Is this absolute drive, or, or for the successful people anyway, isn't it? Mm-hmm. This absolute drive, got to do it. It's like it. Yeah. Do you think so? Yeah, it's sort of, it's a weird thing. It's kind of like, for me, I mean, I kind of feel like on the other side of it too, with regards to how much I care about the films. It's like, it's the craft of it that matters. And working on films affords me the opportunity to do the craft and get paid for it. But sometimes the the whole film aspect of it is also the thing that fucks it up. And it ends up being like, a you know, a, a percentage of what it could be, if only, you know, you could. Uh, and so, yeah, I, 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 when I do things like demos and stuff at IMATS, I feel like I sink so much more into that because I can do everything the way I want to do it. And if you start in a, in advance, you've got all the time you can spend and make it look lovely. And also you can document the whole process because there's no NDA preventing you from discussing it or revealing it as as it's happening of course yeah yeah and it just seems like that's what movies are like now it's like is that they're they're obviously necessarily um high value assets that are protected from the top down yeah but it means the experience of working on one you're very aware that you're a pair of hands and you will toe the line kind of thing Mm -hmm. and that is right and proper and i'm not saying that's wrong i'm just saying there are so many other things in life now where you can produce things beautifully without that interference and they often are better because of it and the more interference and the more committee members there are involved in the decisions the shittier the product even though it costs a lot more money you you mentioned hellraiser that was um working with clive barker and bob Keane. that was uh, a period where we had because we felt like a bunch of kids in a in a grown up business, but mm. we had so much input, and Clive was so open to our input that that felt like that was something special. That um, I, could, I worked on bigger projects, um, and where you're a smaller cog in a bigger machine, mm-hmm. and there's nothing quite like having a lot of input um, artistically, which when it's done by committee and and uh, it just feels a bit. It can get a bit watered down, isn't it? Yeah. You know, I don't. I still don't really understand why Hellraiser um, made the splash that it did. Because my my reaction on watching it was like, "Oh, that's so embarrassing!" And that I can see that 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 looks fake. And, and there was all this fake stuff that I didn't believe. I suppose I think it's just because it it was a complete vision. It was like Clive Barker's idea, and he just delivered something that he wanted it to be, and and, and controlled it, and so. And it was it was quite new, wasn't it? it? Yes. Monster films, horror films, they didn't touch on like love stories like that and stuff, did they? No, but it also had that kind of austere thing about it because he's like this. You know, he's a director. He's like he gets this uh, like the, the the big in the seventies, like all those kind of like Brian De Palma movies and stuff. It's like the director is king. He gets yep. to control everything. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, and and so it wasn't a studio interfering with it so much. It was more like a person had an idea and a person could execute that idea. Mm. And I'm not saying that that's how everything has to be, but I'm saying there seems to be, and we've all seen it movies that have been, you know, created and managed by committees of people with very commercial interests and they churn out a piece of shit, Mm. but it's a piece of shit that so many people watch 
it makes enough money that they'll do it again. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't necessarily mean it's a good thing and it doesn't necessarily mean that it doesn't crush your soul working on it, but it doesn't mean it's going to stop either. And then, you know, you might go and do a watercolor at the weekend and feel fucking great about it. <laughs> and so you're trying to find a way to kind of engineer your life towards that kind of stuff. I don't know. Isn't it? I mean, you know, I've, I turned, I want to say turn my back on it. That sounds a bit cruel, but I, I left the film business. What is, um, mental maths not very good at it what did i say um i think it was about eight years ago you say? eight years working at two swords i was as a senior sculptor and then a couple of years since i've left two swords okay so 10 years ago you... so it's over a decade that um that i'm not working in that business anymore wow. but um do you you i, I I'd hate your listeners to, to switch off at that point and think, I, I don't want to listen to that guy because he's not, he's not in the business. But I'd love to, to contribute something to the business that I love so much because I did love it more than anything. I was saying to you how um, when I was at Pinewood Studios, I would literally finish work and sleep under my workbench and get up and then carry on working. Yeah. Unheard of to think of someone acting like that in, in today's, you know, health health and safety world and that, or, or that someone would be that, that committed or insane, is it? Committed slash insane. <laughs> but that's, I literally did that. I, yeah, I, you live and breathe it, don't you? Lived and breathed and so desperately wanted to do um, the best work that I could do, surrounded by people that were doing stuff that was knocking my socks off. Yeah. Well, why don't we we'll back up and just talk a little bit about where you started out and how it how it kicked in for you. So when how how does how does John get from leaving school to being in on Pinewood Studios? What was the jump for you? I went into a, a college to do a foundation. Which where did you grow up, by the way? In Taplow near Maidenhead. Okay. So I went and did a, a foundation. Um, two-year foundation at Rygate School of Art and Design. And I'll never forget being on, um, there was Deer's skull in the middle of the room. And, and as far as I remember, we had turntables. I can't imagine we had turntables, but there was a group, the class reproduced the Deer's skull. And I remember doing that and thinking, why are people doing like these flattened, flying space objects and things that didn't look like the Deer's skull, but I had a natural aptitude to, towards a bit of sculpting. And then I wanted... A, in those days, long, long time ago, um, I wanted to do record covers, <laughs> LP covers, like Roger Dean and paint. Mm -hmm. And so I went to a um, college to do it. I wanted to do a graphics course. And I got into this thing, Hounslow Borough College then, and did studio practice and design. But they were all about copy about the, the wording on a, on a double page spread in a magazine. And I wasn't, I wanted to, I wanted to be more an illustrator, so I left that. So I was in the wilderness a bit. And then just um, chance meetings with when I moved to, to Brixton um, with a guy who was an in-house model maker. And he and me started from a little company that were making model making. Um, he worked for the, what was it, the Imperial War Museum as an in-house model maker. Oh, wow. And so we, we, he just believed in me. I mean, there's a thing I'll never forget is going around his house. We've met each other. He sees me as his ticket to get out of the, 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 the museum. And I'm and he's a sculptor and I'm not a sculptor. And I'd only done a fraction of sculpting in foundation. And um, and he just said, yeah, and we're going to make all these figures. And I'm like, how are we going to make the figures? Are we going to sculpt them? Or how are we going to do that? And he was almost like a bit 
cross with me. He was like he blocked out very quickly in like about half an hour one side of a face, and he just shoved it at me and said, "Do the other side," as if. For God's sakes, man, why, of course you just can do, do it, this. Yeah. yeah. So I'm like, oh, 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 okay. So I block out. And so there was one side sculpted. I sculpted the other side and, and I could. So that that got me from um, working and then starting to make um, figures and stuff, model making. And then a very chance meeting with someone that got me into um, the creation of image animation in 1985, I think it was. Oh, wow. It was a year before... Um, we were waiting for Hellraiser to start for a year and we did a couple of commercials. One of which was, um, I can't tell you this, uh, just because it was, uh, uh, so I'm young, isn't it? I, in 1983, I'm, I can't even do my own maths, but I think I'm 20, uh, 22. Why did I say, uh, not 83. No, in 1985, I would have been um, 24, okay. I think. And, um, and we did this, like, splash the film with um, the mermaid, and we were doing a mermaid's tale. You worked on that? No, didn't work on splash, just on this commercial. Oh, I beg your pardon, yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Right. And, um, and so I didn't get to sculpt the tale. I've forgotten who sculpted it. I remember seeing, meeting John Schoonrad, many of you know. I mean, f- from when I was doing the model making, I was literally washing my hands in acetone, fiberglassing and sanding and doing all that in just my own clothes it was just it was another world Do, mixing out of um, milk cartons because um, there was no, didn't even know what a monocup looked like mm. and then the first time I saw a film business model mold maker John Schoonrad gloves white suit and it was masks and that were going to come later on in, in the industry. But at the time... It's still was, an upgrade from uh, <laughs> washing your hands in acetone. So I was like, oh, my God, that looks awesome. Anyway, the, 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 the bit I wanted to say was that we, we made the tail. Oh, there was a guy I was trying to remember who made the, the polyurethane tail. Uh, Dave Shiguri. Dave Shiguri, yeah, the Shiguri. phone guy. Yeah, yeah, Amazing yeah. Amazing guy. He did this n- po- uh, neutral, buoyant um, tail. And the the bit I wanted to say was that I'm in, um, I think it was in Fulham, and we're f- and they're testing the the models who are going to play the mermaid, and so I'm, I can swim, I can swim very well, and we had made this rig that was just a pair of um, fins um, staked together with a bit of um, plastic for the, um, when I say plastic, you know, like, um, uh, I can't think of the word plastic for for the fin. And I would show the girls how to swim with this fin and then they would do it. So you put it on and actually went for a bit of a splash. Yeah. Splash around. Yeah. So I was, I remember, never forget that day because there I am with topless models, absolutely gorgeous. And I'm swimming, which I absolutely love thinking life could never, ever get better than this, could it? Anyway, that's That's amazing. I'm I'm just reminiscing. So, um, yeah, that. That got me. Uh, then Hellraiser actually happened, and that was my first. Um, and what was interesting was just prior to that, we did this Barclays Bank commercial. Right. So my first ever set was for uh, a Barclays Bank commercial, um, directed by Ridley Scott in the style of Blade Runner. Right. So, so Ridley obviously did Blade Runner, and and he's just been asked by a big bank, can you just make an advert with has got the feel of your Blade Runner? But for me, it's like walking on this. To look so, that up. I'm going to make a note of that and see if I can find a link to that because it probably will be on YouTube, isn't it? That, that 
commercial. Barclays Bank. So it's Barclays Bank advert. I think I presume the years around 1985, and there was um, a head of Tony Robbins, is it that Jeff made? Jeff Porter's made, and um, and oh man, I was just so happy being in this world that I didn't know about. Although lots of the people that I came across had been making stuff in their mum's kitchen and stuff, and I didn't even know about this world. It's fascinating, isn't it? That so, so many people come from different backgrounds to arrive in makeup effects, creature effects. I remember before all this happened, I watched this um, American Werewolf in London, in, and I was in Chicago, and there was this scene where the guy, and he's dipping his chips in the guy's egg, and he's got this makeup on, his, his face been ripped to shreds, and it's moving. And, and normally, in those days, a thing like that would get shown on the screen and then taken away very quickly. And here we were. It, there was a whole dialogue scene, and you could watch this bit of skin flapping around. I was like, how on earth? <laughs> Never dreaming that I would one day work in that business. But Anyway, we did... Um, uh, that commercial and th- there was Ridley Scott and he was on do you know the name of those um, when, a, when a director's literally lifted up in the air and he's yeah like a cherry picker thing that's like, it yeah. yeah yeah. and that's the first time I walked on a, a film set saw Ridley Scott um, and thought wow, wow yeah <laughs> it's all downhill from here <laughs> <laughs> you peaked too soon oh my god I did I had some great moments I, I look back on it as like I was I managed to enjoy rubber effects at its peak um yeah because, and, and and now i think it's evolved into something that i look at and just think god that's amazing the, the level of talent that that people are working at i mean i if i was showing you the work that got me work in the film business you would <laughs> laugh and say that's just ridiculous because it was good for the, for its time but the, the level of work that people do now it's it's crazy isn't it crazy lovely crazy though isn't it yeah yeah but yeah it's just one of those things where it just there wasn't there weren't that many people doing it and there wasn't the demand for it it's changed so much but at the same time same motivations behind it i guess it's still that desire to want to make stuff but i mean i look at your some of the stuff you do on youtube and just think wow because in in my day there was no one teaching it the only way i could teach myself would be just a sly look at what someone else was doing or maybe to chat with them and see if I could watch what they were doing and hold a conversation at the same time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I watch your YouTube. Um, you've done one, which is it's quite old, isn't it? A forehead. When I say old, you did it a while ago, and, and you're, you're sh- teaching people how to texture. Oh, my God. I mean, I was just like, when I first watched that, I was thinking, no wonder when you watch how people texture things now that it's just it's just another world. I guess, because, yeah, there's so much more information out there. Because yeah. people like you put in really good information out there yeah i'm a big fan (laughs) but it's just weird that stuff because it's i just make video i mean i don't do as many as i'd like to i I really enjoy making videos they just take a while that's the thing it takes a long Mm -hmm. time Mm -hmm. for me to make one but it's that thing of like you or i like to i like to show things the way i would like to have them broken down Mm -hmm. so i break it down to a logical sequence to me and often that starts out a little bit left of center and then comes back to the point but i enjoy making things in a way that i like i would like to have it explained to me that's where i kind of come from it and i think that's now because of the way the internet works especially youtube there's so much space for so much content that that you know the drive to kind of be noticed 
pushes people to do better and better things as well as a lot of other crap people you know mm-hmm. set fire to themselves or whatever just to get eyeballs so they can sell advert space but but you also you know you'll get you'll get a lot of people pushing themselves in a way because they've got an audience they don't have to work on a film now to get seen so you know what i mean that's i guess that was a very different time then where you had to be in front of the right five people in the country that did this who would hire you because mm-hmm. there was no books no colleges no nothing yeah yeah, actually, there was some books. There was a couple of books, wasn't there? There, was there were, but not Kehoe. many. Yeah. yeah, you had uh, Vincent Kehoe had a book. Vincent Kehoe, the technique, the professional makeup artist. Richard Corbin, Corsten, Corsten. Yeah, the Richard Corsten book, stage yeah. makeup, which I've got. Uh, you don't. I've got it. Somewhere. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. Stage makeup, and then um, and then you had the uh, technique of three dimensional makeup. The Lee Bagan book, which I've got. Oh my god! I haven't seen that book that for like twenty years. I remember getting this book, and there's a passage in the front. I've done, I've, I've talked about this before, um, and that is uh, I think it's John Caglioni on the front. Wow, is his model? Um, <laughs> there's this this. I bought this book. I ordered it specially from a bookshop, right? And when it turned up, I was so excited. The Albion Bookshop in Canterbury, in Mercery Lane, I think it was. I don't know if it's still there, but. Um, and there's this, the preface, and I read the preface. And the last paragraph, it says, in addition to this book, however, you must have a working knowledge of sculpture. <laughs> that stopped me in my tracks because I suddenly thought, all I need is this book and I'm on my way. And then I'm like, why the fuck would I need to know how to sculpt? <laughs> I just, it just seemed like, what has that got to do with anything? I had, that's how naive I was. I had no idea what was involved. Um, so that, you know... So that, that kind of knocked me for six first off. And it was like, oh, my God. You know, what do you, well, now what do I do? So now I've got to start doing it and learning to sculpt. So how did you do that? Just, you know, doing it badly for 30 years. Oh, <laughs> nothing, wrong with, nothing wrong with doing something badly if you progress, is there? No, it's that willingness to, to be shit at the beginning, isn't it? And then <sighs> gradually you become less shit. But you have to go through that feeling of feeling like that. Listen, not nothing to do with anything, but in the vain hope that it just encourages someone... Is that so? There was me at, at this. I was at this point in my career where I was um, senior sculptor at Madame Two Swords. Not the there was like a there was like about half a dozen of senior sculptors, but yeah, obviously very um, on top of uh, sculpting portraits to be in that position. And I stumbled across archery um, on a holiday at um, Centre Parks, which was only happened because my brother was going through a divorce. Anyway, blah, blah, blah. I just happened to be Centre Parks with my brother and his family, and I suddenly am holding a bow and an arrow, and there was this felt like past lifetimes experience of just like, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. And I just loved archery, and I was so bad at it. Just so absolutely awful. And I came back to to London with my daughter and she was like, I know, uh, I'm thinking of the picture of her. She will be only about 11 or 12 or something. But we joined an archery club in London Bridge. And um, and I was utterly awful. And, and, and like on the induction, I, I think um, I, I came last by, by a... But a a nine-year-old was just worse than me. <laughs> but there was just something about being um, really good at something, um, like I was in my career, but also really and enjoying it, loving it, loving it to bits, but also being really bad at something, but just 
been fine with that, and, but I'm going to get better. And, mm. and although I haven't been to an archery club for, for many years, I still have my bow and I still practice almost like daily with what it. What kind of bow is it? A uh, longbow or a compound? No, compa- uh, re- I've forgotten all the names. Um, Has he got the pulleys or is it just the kind no of bent pulleys. limbs? No, just bent limbs. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. So I still practice with that because I think there will become a time in my life when I'll be able to get back on to that. But that business of, um, I've just, I, I guess it was, I just saw the progression that I did through my career of what happens if you're dedicated and determined. Mm. In fact, can I share that when I teach, I always say to people, um, and I think this is about, it doesn't matter what you do, but, and I'm only half joking when I say, I think it's, um, 80% determination. No, I'm going to say 70% determination, 20% luck and 10% talent. So I'm kind of joking with people. I'm, of course, it's a lot more talent is needed, but that de- determination is it. Yeah, talent without the, the determination and hard work is is largely meaningless, isn't it? Because yeah. it just doesn't happen. Yeah. 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 yeah, you've got to put things into practice. Because if you're determined, then you can bump up that talent with... Um, with practice and, and getting and perfecting it, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. We were talking earlier about. We'll, we'll get to that because I want to finish your, your your rise through the industry. But talking about like what what sculpture means and how, what does it fit in and why does it matter and 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 all that kind of stuff. Because I find a lot of the people that do this kind of stuff, they start out interested in movies and they see the finished thing and it's very distracting because it's gory or it's a monster and that's you know myself and a lot of people like that were that's what drew them in first and then gradually learn oh this this is done with this and it's this and you learn and you gain an appreciation of the art and the craftsmanship Mm -hmm. that goes into it so it's the craft of it that matters and so now that matters more than what it's for so it's almost like movies were a portal to get to the point where you were capable of doing something and then once you sort of gained a certain competency it then took off on its own direction and then and it can go in so many different ways do you know what I mean? It's, mm. it's a fascinating thing. Anyway, I'm, I'm hijacking the conversation. So you, you've done Hellraiser, and you've done your Barclays commercial. And and then, yeah, I worked with um, fantastic young people as we all forwarded our career, isn't it? And um, and so many of them, you, you look back, are all, you know, Oscar-winning Mark Couliers and... Um, oh, gosh, if I try and list them and I opt out. Well, image animation was a really was a big deal for the film industry in the UK because there are so many people that are, you know, seasoned veterans now that, that came through those came doors, through Bob Keane and, and mm-hmm. Jeff Bortus, you know, they started a lot of careers, mm-hmm. all that stuff. And like Neil Gorton and yeah, yeah. Paul Spiteri, just some, you know, people that you might not even know the names, but you, you will have seen their work. I mean, there's a lot of people that are well known who are very vocal and public, but there's also a lot of people that are just really good yeah. that, they just they don't really have much of an online presence they're not interested in that yeah, but they, yeah. they, you would have seen their work and if you look through their the, the credits of things like Hellraiser you'll see you know a lot uh, of those names still going now a name uh, popped up while we've been talking Paul Catlin mm-hmm. because I mean it's I don't know how it sounds to be honest I really don't know how it sounds but but when I was um, when so I was that was uh, genuine coughing that wasn't <laughs> a slur on Paul Catlin because he's fucking amazing he did Doctor Octopus he designed the Doctor Octopus stuff for uh-huh. So when I in in the early eighties, I saw a picture of him sculpting this bodysuit. So the head I hadn't seen, but I just, um, or maybe it was there. I, it was just this body, and it was just a muscly figure, raw head Rex. And I was just like, oh my god! And in those days, 
there wasn't um there was there was no um digital photography people didn't have um pictures on uh, couldn't take pictures on their cameras and stuff on their phones and stuff so it was literally it was a proper photograph and i kept it in my file effect (laughs) because that was the way we um used to so you stored everything (laughs) (laughs) and i was just like carried around this and i I hadn't met him then but he was just a person who'd um who'd done some work that i just thought i've I just wanted it so bad. I wanted to be able to sculpt like that. And I was thinking of, um, is it Lyle Conway mm-hmm. and his um, thing in Dark Crystal with... Um, old Crow? No. Oh. The, no, the, the, oh. the lady with... Yeah, yeah, um, old She was a puppet, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I remember seeing that in, uh, I think, a Cinefix. Because then Cinefix sort of came. That was quite a big m- moment for us when all of a sudden it's like you could pour over all this stuff from yeah, America. Yeah, because no one was documenting any of this really, were they? There wasn't there wasn't DVDs and extras and all that kind of stuff. I mean, there were there were people that cared about it, but there wasn't resources for people that cared about it. And then, yeah, Cinefix was a big deal because it suddenly you, you actually have someone talking to people that made this stuff and yeah. showing you how they did stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I've got a few of those. Amazing magazine. But that, I guess that was, so, so my, um, yeah, is, is it my entrance into the, the film world was largely by chance, but, um, but once I saw it, I was just um, obsessed, I'm afraid, um, with seeing people that were really good and thinking, I want to be that good. I'm doing the same thing now, actually. In, in, um, and and, and it, the same thing happened when I went into portraiture. Right, going into Madame Tussauds, it was just like some people were just like doing really amazing work, and I was, I want to do it. When did you start? And because I remember there was a bit of a call. I can't think what it was, but they were expanding. But there was suddenly this thing. There were a bunch of people that I knew in the industry who were uh, going applying to Tussauds because they had an entry exam, didn't they? Yeah, where you yeah. Would basically sculpt something, and yeah. and there were some really good people that didn't get in, and I was surprised because they were amazing sculptors. Yeah. But obviously, it was more about do you sculpt the or can you sculpt the way they want you to sculpt? Yeah, there's a very 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 strict formula that they sculpt at Tussauds, mm-hmm. and I guess they, part of it would be so that if you um, stopped, someone else could carry on. And it wasn't it wasn't how someone felt an artistic feeling interpretation of a, of a person. It was an actually a, a rather well documented and cleverly worked out formula that with with which we worked. Mm. And so that that was very particular for some. And so some, as you say, very good sculptors just didn't fit in with that. It's interesting, wasn't it? Because I think a lot of people sculpt for fun and it's it's a kind of an indulgence in a way so you get used to the feeling of sculpting in a way that makes you feel good so that will often dictate and we were talking earlier about a lot of weaknesses and like the things we'll do the things we'll put into our bodies the things we'll eat the things mm-hmm. we'll wear the things we'll do because they feel nice and there's nothing wrong with that but it's like when you meet up against a disciplined situation where something like where two sorts have a certain way of doing things, there are going to be people that perhaps get a lot out of sculpting, but they don't. They won't get a lot out of sculpting if they have to do it that that way. way yeah, and so they won't be working there because mm-hmm. that's not what they want. And it's the first time I think I'd really seen like a real wall of like boom. That's no. This is a line you don't cross. This is what we're going to do that way. And these people do, and these people don't. And some of the people that didn't were amazing sculptors. Mm-hmm. And it's like fuck. I just I'd not seen them 
rejected before wow. in a way and it's a kind of rejection isn't it mm -hmm. to to not be you know because everyone wanted to be a portrait sculptor with two swords because that's like the pinnacle of a of, of sculptural achievement at the i mean i'm sure there are <laughs> there are other things you could do but it was like everyone knows it's like if you're going to design trainers you want to do it for nike you know yeah. you're going to make a car you want to be for tesla do you know what I mean? whatever it's like you know there, there were these sort of like the thing that appealed to me was that there was this <laughs> this target from an archer um there was this target it was tiny it was super small that you were gonna try and make a piece a lump of mud look like someone and you're going to make it look so much like them that the person could stand next to your sculpture and people are going to go uh, hey what which is the which is the waxwork and which is the which is the real person and that to me is that challenge of just like oh and you could do that in photographs and i got photographs that i showed people and people are like oh i thought it was a photograph why are you show me a picture of the person i'm it's not my waxwork not that I painted it and haired it and was part of the team, but they it gets accredited to, to the sculptor. Mm. But do you know what? I get the feeling that, that that's that's almost primeval, isn't it? That, that, that people have been... They were painting on caves in the prehistoric times of... And, and ever since then, I think there's this, been this progression... Is that the right word? Of trying to recreate reality. And I don't think we'll stop until there's um, a robot sits there and, and and it's like a scene out of um completely realistic probably probably and i think we'll keep going until we get to that i think you're right i think there's there's a, a weird pleasure is probably the wrong word but a, an imperative to kind of reproduce the world around you and to control it then you can kind of make it in your image in a way maybe mm. you know i don't know but do you get when you're sculpting things presumably for pleasure because i know you do when you portrait stuff you enjoy it to some degree i'm sure mm -hmm. <laughs> do you find you enter that kind of flow state where you just feel like you stop marking time you don't really notice anything else you just get completely swallowed into it or is it not like that for you no totally not and that's a magical magical feeling and it's i think when you've had and i've discussed this with some people that, that totally get it and other people like don't even know what i'm talking about you know and it's just like you just get so absorbed into something that you don't the, the things around you that would mark time and place in the world, they just vanish. And it's like like watching a really good movie or something where it finishes and you're like, where did that hour and a half go? Or, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, or a song that gives you goosebumps. It's like, it's very hard to describe where that comes from. Uh -huh. But it's like, yeah, it's a, a, an important thing. And for me, I'm trying to find a way where I can engineer my life to feel that way more often. Oh, same. That's what I'm doing. And it feels like the right thing to do. So long as the things you're doing aren't hurting anybody or, yeah, yeah. you know, causing a damage it, 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 or you, you mitigate it in some way, but, you know, throwing away stuff of any kind or moulds with their, you know, their wasteful Do you things. not think, because I've always felt, what have I just done recently? I've just done something, um, I think it's just working where I'm working at the moment and doing a bit of teaching and I'm so happy there. But I'd, I'd love to think that, that my philosophy in life is that, and I've said this, but I, I, it hasn't been put to the test, is that you could put me in, uh, in, in Tesco's and, and that's my job and I'll just try and do the best that I can do. And then to me, working in dream jobs, you've still got to deal with people. There's still, some, there's still going to be bits that you love and bits that you really, oh, I really hate doing that part of my job. Even if you've got a dream job, there's still chores and technical aspects to it that you got to do so i always thought oh whatever i was doing i'd be happy doing i don't know where i was going with this no but i think the thing is you 
you're right that you make something heaven or hell. Ah, Do you know what I mean? And that was that was the bit that I wanted to say is that, that so so if you talk to me, then it's a world of sculpting and stuff, or bring up my daughter, or um, my Buddhist practice is a big thing for me. So and and that that I feel when in those moments, like when you were talking about the sculpting. I'm doing what I was put here on this earth to do. So I don't actually think that I was put on here on this earth to do, but I do think that I've got choices in life and that when I'm fulfilling what's like a mission, that that's something that is um, really innate in me. And I think everyone have it. And it might be that someone else's is just to work in a bank and, and, and you know, juggle with numbers about is their mission, is that everyone's got something. Everyone's got some, I think we're all unique and for us, and, and this lovely world of um, that we have with battles with rubber is this is our world where we this is what we're supposed to be doing. It feels like it, but I don't know. Would the world be a better place if we all just did more useful things? I don't know. No, <laughs> you know? but no. it feels like a, it does feel like an indulgence. But when you're when you're doing your sculptures, you know, when you're doing a portrait sculpture, there are going to be times where you and often I'm sure where it's hard. It's yeah. not easy. So it may be an indulgence to a degree, but it's not easy and it's not uh, it's not like a la-la-la happy fun times. There are going to be times where you struggle because you care about it so much, but it's not going right. A, you start thinking, where does right come from then? You know, I mean, I'm, I've had that before where I've been sculpting and it's gone badly and I don't know why. And I think to myself, well, where does the ability to do it come from? Because it seems to have gone now. So I don't know where to look for it. <laughs> and you just, that happens enough that you trust it comes back. But it makes you realize that you don't, you're not necessarily in control of it. You know, you have to, t- you have to show up, you put the hours in, you try. And sometimes it's great and sometimes it's not. And that's not always down to you. You know, you sometimes you just have to show up and do it anyway. So isn't it, if you want to excel and be brilliant at it, and I am looking at you, Stu, thinking you are brilliant at what you do. And I'm also thinking I'm good at what I do. It's because your your ability to, to go down that hard part when it's not working. Because mm. it's fine when it's all working lovely. But if you came to a hard bit and you go, oh, I'm walking away from that, then that's fine. But that stops that stops the, the, the progression of, of taking it up another level. So, yeah. so to me, I, I see life constantly throws you choices between two paths and one path is craggy and difficult painful with um you know um thorns and brambles and just absolutely difficult incline and then the other one is like a smooth path which is just like super smooth and you get on that and it's it's a lovely smooth road and I think it's on a slight decline and that the, the fruit that you get through the difficult path is um, is bountiful compared to the, the easy path, which I think is barren in comparison. Mm. So when you're challenging yourself and, and going down what is things that... And we've talked, haven't we, earlier on this afternoon about some of the things that drive us to um, absolutely the hard... to push us to the absolute limits are where all the benefits are. Mm. Because if you can if you can achieve something through the difficult bit, that is the sweetest um, tasting victory, isn't it? I think so. I think, I think there are some inalienable truths. And I think one of the truths is that hardship exists and it's everybody's burden. Everyone will have the things that are difficult to do. And it feels like, especially with a lot of creative things, it feels like there's so much money to be made from making, not necessarily literally this, but the, 
a lot of its digital equivalents or devices that become like a paint by numbers where if you do this this and this the end result is that and you can kid yourself that you're responsible for it and point we mentioned like instagram for example there's nothing wrong with instagram i use it but you could conceivably take a snapshot throw a few filters on it and kid yourself that you're a good photographer because you can make it look half decent with things that you've applied to it just like anybody else could apply to it Mm -hmm. and you have some agency in it because you can decide what filters then there's enough filters and there's enough variables within those filters that you can feel like oh i made that happen but that doesn't replace good photography and it doesn't mean that someone that doesn't compose the shot right takes pains to be in the right place to take a good photograph and maybe takes lots of them and knows the time of day and the situation that would possibly yield the most fruitful situations if they had that awareness and they put those hours in and they did all the right things and they've got instagram and they've got the ability to have filters. They're going to take better pictures than someone that just relies on those filters. Mm-hmm. And I feel like the way the world works nowadays is that there's a lot of encouragement to buy, spend, acquire through little effort things that can have the sheen of competence, especially younger people, uh, let down where people are not drawing their attention to grasping that nettle and teaching people. And I think we all have a duty to do it and to, to make other people aware that you should grasp with difficulty, the right kinds of difficulty to make things better mm-hmm. because that's solving problems and that's what people need. People need stuff, people solve. Like you spend money on things that you need solving. You know, if your boiler breaks down, you'll, you'll find the money to do it. You know, there are certain things you have to do and they're inevitable. And I just think with regards to things like sculpture, it can be seen as a just a, a luxury activity but it's it, it's about getting your teeth into the difficulty of fuck i don't know how to i'm struggling with it and it's 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 a means of of, of dealing with difficulty and, and and having a physical manifestation of overcoming it when you get better and i think that's going to exist in every aspect of life no matter what every you do aspect, yeah and i think that's the thing it's, it's, it's understanding that those things exist and so when you face with difficulty you shouldn't just think how can i make it go away it's how can i make it go away or is it a necessary struggle that Mm -hmm. i i have a duty to kind of go through Mm -hmm. um and life is difficult (laughs) yeah you know isn't it human beings thrive under challenge being challenged yes so so if your chosen thing that you want to do is challenging you you can a give up or you can be um take on the challenge and go i'm gonna somehow go through this and i'm thinking of god doing all-nighters which we used to do in in the olden days because there was our challenge yeah and it was just we're like, filming tomorrow this has to be on set <laughs> there's no wiggle room in this you yeah. just you just have to pull and i think out. then it becomes a world of improvement and growth but it's it is going it is making the choice to go down the difficult path mm at the right times and not being afraid of it. And then even once you've done it, I think failure, isn't it? They said, and I think they've just made a film of him. So I'm not, shouldn't really mention it, but I think Edison was uh, the guy who invented the light bulb and he was supposed to have done loads and loads of failures, but he didn't see them as failures because they were the the things that enabled him to get the, the right thing. Yeah. Invented. So it's a very holistic view of, of the whole process. Yeah. But it does feel, and I see it a lot at makeup schools and I don't know if it's a sensibility of the sorts of people that are drawn to creative fields or if it's a generational thing or if it's always been like this 
and I just don't remember it as such. But it feels like a lot more people now are ready to give up with the creative stuff, particularly when it goes wrong. It's almost like they were expecting it to be easy and they don't appreciate the difficulty that it is. So they say, I'm bad at it and then enter a spiral of despair rather than going, no, you're bad at it. You've never done it before. And it's really fucking hard. So what you've experienced is perfectly normal. Like if I was going to try and jump over my house, I can't do it. That doesn't mean I'm crap at jumping. That's just because it's really hard to jump 35 feet up. So, you know, it's that your, your frame of reference is incorrect. And I worry that. There's a lot of things now that are making people expect too much without really understanding what it is that is required to get to that point. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Because they've seen other things. Well, I take photos on Instagram. They look great. I do this, I do that. I can, we were talking about music. Like you can get samples and things that can track your thing and you can make a very easily. I think people without any musical talent could, you could find software and things and fuck with stuff enough that you could churn out something that would sounded Okay. There's nothing wrong with it, but that's not the same as like uh, a seasoned violinist who who spent years working in orchestras who really knows their craft yeah. and then watch them play and go, are you seriously telling me that's the same as, mm-hmm. you know, just, just beat mapping a, a, some samples and, yeah, and yeah. churning out a tune? It's not the same thing at all. Yeah, yeah. But it's almost like you need more people to not to to be dissatisfied with that very pedestrian beat map track. Do you, you not... Need- do you not think that if, as long as there are people who are, um, you know, like a, a ballet dancer has got to devote their life to ballet, isn't it? From yeah. a very young age to, to get up on that stage and, and, and perform. And if you've got a lot of them, then that's a lot of people who dedicated their life that we will always be impressed with that. So, so it's all, almost like you cannot stop life saying, look, if you dedicate yourself to something and are determined then great results will happen. And that will still apply to the app that you've bought. Because, isn't it, I'm like thinking of um, ZBrush, which is, um, you can look at ZBrush and see some gobsmackingly awesome results and some really mediocre, you know, it's, the, the, the tools are always, this, you know, there's, I can get a knife and I can use it to kill someone or I can use it to carve a, an awesome sculpture. And and ZBrush can come along and, and it can be, um, I, I'm learning it and, and I, I love it. I, I've, I've, I, I'd really like to have a lot more time in my life where I could devote it because I know that devotion and as well as determination counts. But I just think that you, you human beings, in a way, you, we, we're on this, what I see is an, a hopeful um, projection, which is to fulfil our potential. It's what, what people want to do, isn't it? And it's very easy to come and be swayed by a lot of things, negativity or um, just laziness or, um, or, or just technology coming and, and sloughing you out. Or, but there will always be people who go, I'm going to push this to its limits. And everyone looks and goes, oh, my God, that's amazing. Yeah, we were talking earlier about the the the, the necessity of, of, of craft as a means to income. Ooh. And like how, for example, if you were good at making pots 200 years ago, you could be a potter and make pots, and that's how you got pots. Whereas now, most people don't really have things that were handcrafted because it's much cheaper and much easier to buy something that's been mass produced. So that's shaped since the industrial revolution, that's shaped Mm -hmm. our perception of things. And so there's a drive towards that. And it's like that with, 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 uh, you know, technology and stuff. It feels like 
and it sounds like a very pessimistic thing, but we can find very solid examples to to back this up. It feels like anywhere where there are, despite everyone saying people are our best assets, every company, every massive corporation, it feels like they're trying to find a thing. Whatever a person's doing, if there's any way an app or or, or something can do it instead, it's just a matter of time before we implement it because we'd rather not because an app doesn't need a pension and it doesn't need you know to be looked after in sick days or insured or whatever so there there is a drive to make efficiencies which can include cutting out the human contribution entirely if possible <laughs> so where does that leave us as a race when we feel our most validated when we're producing something the fact that it might be beautiful is lovely but does anybody fucking need it is the question because all of the needs that we have can be met by something that was produced beautifully perfectly on point on budget by something that that doesn't actually enjoy making it <laughs> do you know what i mean have you have you seen some of the artwork that's produced by uh, rob- robots literally paintings or drawings no because I've seen that, yeah, they look good. I don't know. There's, 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 there's something about knowledge, isn't it? When your child does something, it's not that it's the most best drawing ever. In fact, it might be the the worst drawing ever. But because your child has gone through that little process of like having a crayon, making a mark, and not going, well, that looks rubbish and throwing it away, but keep on going until they, oh, it looks like a face to them. It does. Do you know what I mean? That there's yeah. something about when. When another human being, especially if you invest in some relationship, I think it's, it always comes down to relationships. But it's a magical thing. But it's what I'm saying is it's, it's almost like you will find the opportunity and the, and, the, and, the, and the activities which will yield the most satisfaction creatively are probably the ones which nobody's going to pay for. They're going to be your hobby. Do you know what I mean? No. Like, if you were a great portrait sculptor, how many people spend the money? Like, if it takes you three months to make a beautiful portrait, Mm -hmm. who's going to pay for your wages for three months to do this incredibly unique skill? Not many people. Because there was a time where maybe your kings and all that kind of stuff would do that, or they'd they'd hire a portrait painter to do a portrait, and that's lovely. But we just take a photo. And it's free and instant, and it's incredibly accurate. So that's kind of taken over the need to record things with skill so but if somebody can do a beautiful portrait that's amazing it's so skill and we know it and we feel it and if you were the one drawing it you'd feel it but trying to find someone that would commission you to do do you know what i mean it's almost like there's an inverse proportional like you could have millions of people that could do these amazing sculptures but actually making a living wage doing that it's hard because most people if they need a thing they'll get it from ikea they don't yeah. need a cabinet maker anymore yeah. You know, so it's a, it seems like the ratchet of of of, of economizing has outstripped the desire to get. Everyone wants to be good at being capable at something creative, and you see it all the time. And I do it on courses. You know, I have someone that has like a, an office job that they hate, but they really come to life when they're you know doing something or they make jewelry or whatever, and it's it's fantastic and it's lovely. But people don't typically buy handmade jewelry that their mm. friends have made they'll go to you know argos or a store and buy you know a beautiful bracelet for 15 bucks that was made in a factory by people that don't fucking that hate going to work every day do you know what i mean it feels like i don't mean that in a depressing way i'm just trying to very focus that kind of uh-huh, uh-huh. I think it seems like there's a there's a there's a there's a fight people know what they really want to do and what makes them happy and and gives them joy but it's not what the world wants of them 
Or is that a very wrong... Well, I'm just feeling a bit like a pendulum that that it would swing one way, all handmade and handcrafted, swing the other way, all um, automated. And I was thinking, as you were talking about how you... uh, I was in an effects workshop just uh, yesterday, and so this guy, uh, he'd taken a a photograph... uh, No, he'd scanned his child while they were sleeping on his phone and then printed it on Mm -hmm. his printer in his workshop. And it's like, well, that used to be, you could only do that with sculptors. So now it really feels like we're moving into that world where maybe painters felt when they used to be commissioned to paint kings in those olden centuries ago. Uh, all of a sudden, photograph, ph- photography came along and it th- felt, must have felt like it just absolutely threatened their, their very existence. Why would you paint something mm-hmm. if you can photograph it? But the thing is, is that f- painting didn't, die out completely did it it's still no but a, a lot of the portrait stuff what actually happened was you got the whole cubist movement and then you get lots of different things happened with the paint because people mm. still felt compelled to create mm. something didn't they so surely because i feel as a sculptor that um oh my god this uh, uh, and i've come into your fabulous workshop and seen your printing machines and and some of the things that you've got going on in here and it's like wow this is incredible but as a sculptor you kind of think oh my god my days are numbered on one hand but but i was i was in i remember being in effects i remember being at a a pub in shepparton and there was this conversation with these esteemed some of them to become oscar winning people and i said that you'd be able to that computers would come along one day and you'll be able to see someone change in front of your very eyes on the screen from a man to something and being laughed at and being told it would have to be cuts and edits. And then I remember going to watch Terminator, which one was it? Probably T2. T2, yeah. And I was sat there watching this and and suddenly there's this scene where the, the guy comes out of the flames and he's silver or something and then he turns into a man or it goes the other way around. Forgive mm-hmm. me. Yeah, film. I think he comes out all melty silver and yeah, then and turns into turns cute. into yeah. So, and I remember just this pang of of going being thrust back to that conversation that I had um, in years and years prior to that, saying that that would happen one day in films. I think the I don't know why I've said that. Just showing off, I guess. But, um, no, no, but that's that. That must be quite a satisfying thing, is it? I don't even know if the pers- the people you were talking to were there to witness it, but you made that connection. It's like holy shit, the fucking loop has completed itself. Right, there was a little <laughs> popping noise because something had happened that you were like, fuck, I knew this. I knew, was, I knew this I'd is, see this day. And to me, that what well, I've just got this utter, um, uh, very robust. Uh, belief in humanity and people and creativity and yeah. just think uh, technology will come and it will but it will never i don't think we'll have a problem with it i think won't replace things do you know what i think as well is that the um it's all about me what do i think well, well sorry <laughs> i get you into it i get i think that people need to to use the technology i think the thing is if like what happened with the you know painting i don't know if exactly this is how it works but it seems to me the point at which photography kind of came in and became oh my stomach you hear that that, that's my stomach the point at which photography became inexpensive and reliable enough that it could be used commonly yeah is the point at which painting kind of went off on one like i don't think a cubist painting in 1800 would have gone down very well 
There may be somebody that did it, but it probably wouldn't have been taken seriously at the time. But by the time, you know, you get to the point where we can capture reality with a device accurately, it kind of almost takes some of the workload off of what painting can be. Because now we can start doing other things with it, like the Brancusi is it the descent figure descending descending a staircase, and it's like it's the shapes of a person walking down a staircase at different start, you know. So movement, but shown in a in a painting that's a static image. So you know what I mean? You're trying to convey something differently with the paint that you can't necessarily get through with a still image. And it's, I think it's like that with the digital stuff. Like digital things will replace a lot of things. But like we were saying about the photographer composing things right basically you haven't escaped the burden of you being competent at something you've got to it's almost like if if if, if computers can if scanners exist and so we can scan the human body and all that kind of stuff that doesn't mean oh cool i'll not bother learning to sculpt then because i don't need to anymore because sculpting wasn't just about rendering a mm. very accurate mm. thing it was about conveying an idea or a message and if you're able to describe anatomy in the way that you want it to that doesn't go away that can only be helped with the ability to scan things because you could maybe scan things and then enhance it or sculpt it or you know use it in some way so it's still you you're not relieved of the burden i think maybe the danger of technology is that people see stuff think it replaces it and then the reason it goes wrong is because they then fail to respond to it in a way it's almost like they have to learn like if 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 you're a sculptor and you're saying oh maybe 3d printing is going to take over everything then you should be the fucking master at 3d printing Mm -hmm. you learn zbrush you learn how a printer works and then you fucking use it in your sculpture and you redefine what it can mean and you do something new with it and maybe that's what it means yeah and and that's what i think you can rely almost rely on people to want to express their their understanding of life and and life's all the the things that happen in life, the emotions mm. and everything. I'm thinking right now on Instagram. If you looked at the pictures that I save, that I just think, oh, I've got a, a lot of it is painters, and they're and and so to me, painting is a wonderful expressive art. I think all the arts are just a, an expression of this is what I'm I'm trying to convey my life to you in a way isn't it and so maybe a, a director will try and do it and then all these people are trying to put their everything that they can into that process mm. of like this is my expression of my life or my skills oh i think it's exciting i think so i mean what i find interesting with the whole 3d printing thing is that it, you still like if you just print some i mean this is something i never quite understood there seems to be quite a big movement with 3d printers stuff where people just download files that they then print and they don't really want to have any agency in in constructing something they just want to print something that to me feels like just downloading pages of words so you can throw it on your laser printer and then rejoice in the fact that words are coming out of your printer it's like surely it'd be better if they were words that you wrote and that they meant something and it, it it could help and can convey things so like having having a 3d printer is fine but actually what would be great is if you could sculpt something digitally and then output it onto that. And the thing you're outputting is something that you've designed and has a function Mm -hmm. in some way. And then this ends up being the middle part of a chain rather than an end in itself. Yeah. Do you know? 
but you've got to have there's there's plenty of room for me on our planet for people who just no i don't want to create i just want to enjoy so so like they would read books and it's like it's not you, you didn't have to write your books you just some people just want to be able to read them or go to a play and see actors perform and so for some there's there's going to be the people who make the sets i suppose and i suppose and i then, found that very weird though with 3d printing that they just find a file and print it just for the sake of it i just find that very odd because you could print like words on a page on paper it's like but are you going to read that? <laughs> I don't know. It's just, it just seems But do you know, what? I'm just saying that there, there, there's room on our planet for people. For, for all of it. For everyone. And and for some of them, they're, they're, they're just going to want to read or go and see on, and, and not actually, um, and not be part of the, the creative process, but just to... To consume it. To consume it, yeah. yeah, yeah absorb yeah. it. Oh, well, you need consumers, otherwise but there's no one taking up your creative endeavours. But aren't, isn't the, the battles with bits of rubber is about people who want to actually create, isn't it? Yeah, I like to, yeah, we, we, we chat with about the, all kinds of things, but uh, basically it's about the, specifically about the difficulty involved in it. <laughs> like when things go wrong and, and, and what processes you do to overcome those or to avoid the problems. Do you remember um, earlier on I was talking to you about inner dialogue and how my inner dialogue changed with mm-hmm. one... And you remember his name, isn't it? Matt? Matt? Matt was his name. Anyway, there was this um, prosthetic makeup artist and I was doing a, a... applying a prosthetic with him. Oh, Matt O'Toole. Matt O'Toole, that's it. Yeah, yeah. And, and it was just... I, I don't know how we got this conversation eat out of us, but, you know, on location we were in Budapest or Prague or somewhere... And it just turned into this the fact that my internal dialogue, born of out of all the struggles and pain that I went through um, coming into makeup effects, was like, ah, oh, this is shit, this looks awful, This I hadn't sculpted this makeup, so I, I never, when I was doing effects, I didn't like putting on other sculpts' work. Sorry if you sculpted something and I put it on, but as a sculptor, I wanted to sculpt it. Basically, because I've learned so many lessons, I don't want to be doing lesson number three of don't do it like that, that someone else hasn't actually learned that lesson. So I, I anyway, uh, we were putting on this makeup. I didn't think it looked good. I, th- in my, my internal dialogue was full of um, self dep no, what's the word? Um, I, I was uh, being self-critical. Yeah. And Matt said that in in his head he was thinking i'm the best makeup artist in the world this looks brilliant and the shock i mean the jaw clanging to the ground for me was that our two internal dialogues were so different uh, worlds apart yeah and that was a, a, a changing moment for me where i was suddenly thinking oh what's going on in my mind is not the same as what's going on and actually uh, and it allowed me to bring into it st- to start to learn to enjoy my work and what I did while wanting to keep that s- self-critical bit very much alive, but in proportion. Instead of this big beast that would beat me up, it was. it's now, I think, and especially now because I'm... Do you know I'm going to be 59 in a couple of days? So I'm in like... Holy shit, happy birthday for them, man. Thank you very much, Stu. So I'm thinking... Yeah, I've got to this place where I think my that cri- self-critical voice is is in a, is in a good proportion. Yeah, um, and it's my friend, and I think that's the same with that's a lesson in life, isn't it? Is uh, that things that um, you uh, amputation is not a road I'd go unless it's absolutely. And I'm looking at you've got Dick Smith's cast of his hands. You know, he 
that had to be a, an amputation, isn't it? But on the whole, I think amputation is not well, the way finger, to go. Well, his finger, yeah, not his hand. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm looking at a, 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 a cast of Dick Smith's actual three-fingered hand where he lost one of his fingers. But to me, it's not that you want to amputate things. You just want to either get them in the right proportion, size-wise. Yeah. I'm talking psychologically, isn't it? Or, um, or just transform them into into their, you know, a more positive nature and stuff like that. And yes. So, so, so for for me, that was just a long waffly talk about how. Um, and I guess it's because all I ever want to do is encourage people. So I think someone's listening to this, someone's battling with some part of their um, psyche. It's just like, oh, it, I mean, at the risk of sounding a bit um, fluffy, it's like embrace it because that's the first step and then transform it isn't it as opposed to want it off and and, and that sore embrace yeah no you're right i think the embracing part's a very big part of it because if you reject it the whole time you're never going to grapple with it whereas if you embrace it you yeah then you can start working to repair it and mm. trying to make it better mm. yeah mm. yeah it's interesting yeah i know i, re- I realized that the uh, the narrative i've had is a very negative sounding one that I've had about this kind of thing, but it's just a very brutal kind of look at like, I just, I, there's, there's so many things where I find like the, the arts and stuff are not, it's not that they're not supported, but they're just not the things that people like to do things like pottery and all that kind of stuff. You'll always see it very hard to sell them. Like people will make pots in pottery craft and the proportion, the amount of fun they've had doing it, far outstrips the financial gain they'll get from it in the main. Do you know what I mean? Whereas a lot of people, I think, will make money doing things that they don't like. But you'll hear it all the time, like people earning a load of money in the city. You know, they're, they're selling and trading and doing all this stuff and they make a, a bunch of money. But they have to do something creative and they just go off and be a plumber. Cause just, uh, <laughs> do you know what I mean? And it's almost like there's, it feels like there's this sort of very hard trade-off between the things that are fun and creative to do are doomed to, to be financially <laughs> fail. And the things that are really shitty that no one wants to do are the things that make money. But that's a very stupid black and white polarized version of the world that doesn't actually help anybody. Personally, I don't think we'll carry on as a, as a race like this forever in the pursuit of money. So I don't, I see that as that will be a thing that, you know, on, on the grand scheme and timeline of humanity, this period um, will not last forever. In which case, it, and as technology, technology um, which we've been talking about, because it's very much in our world, isn't it, um, mm. coming in, um, in the creative world, is, well, I think it's going to have a, a huge impact on um, money and how countries view their... What's GDP stand for? Gross? Gross domestic product. Yeah. So if that changed to, um, yeah, how happy people feel as opposed to what the economic, um, how the money's doing, um, there'll be some shifts, I think, going along. And and money, how long will that even last in the the long scheme of uh, the the history of humanity? I think it's a short period. I think it could change because the metrics, the things we want to measure will be different because we'll be aware of other things that matter as much. Well, we used to have to go to work, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. you had to well we do i mean i don't know where i got the used to although i have i've anyway that's that's another conversation but you work to earn the money and then i've seen this advert somewhere which is like and then you end up not even being able to um you have to work so hard you don't have the the time to enjoy the things but with automation and everything and technology 
that that is going to i think i can the when i project into the future i can see that as changing so they what you're thinking of is some kind of like a digital babylon where a lot of the drudge that would be a shitty job could be automated which should in theory free people up to do the fun things and enjoy themselves more because they can because we don't have to yeah do exactly the crappy that. stuff as much because that could be automated exactly that but then and the, and the only way that that could progress and actually come to fruition is if humanity and the understood how life works and because otherwise it would would destroy it but if it it's a real shift in positivity but then you got me Stu isn't it absolutely 100% committed and believe in humanity's ability to pull itself out of this into a, a beautiful place because then it will be because it's understood how it's got to um be at harmony with its environment it's got to be harmony with other species and it's got to be at harmony with itself with other people and it's got to be harmony within each individual Mm -hmm. so there's the pursue we go down that road it that money and working for money that's going to be that's that's not going to last in my work my future world (laughs) Ooh, <laughs> Tammy, good man. We're definitely using that. That's awesome. We should probably talk about sculpting as well. Yes. Um, tell been, me, we've you, been here for days, haven't we? <laughs> Just yeah. No, but it's fascinating. Okay, it's been really good. Tell me about your portrait sculpting. Obviously, having gone through the whole sort of two sword thing, you've got your skills and you managed to practice it to a very, very high level. But I know that you've been doing your own portraits as well, your own sculpture. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, let's talk a bit about that. How does how is how does that been? How does how does that feel when you do your own stuff? Where does that take you? And how how do you start that? And what's it all about, John? So that's that's been a great journey. So I felt like I had my film career, and I won an Emmy, isn't it? I mean, it was a great time. I really enjoyed what it. What was that for? Jim Henson's Jack and the Beanstalk: The True Story. That's pretty cool. Very cool, and and I like the makeup, and and I had some peaks makeup on doing Whoopi Goldberg. I think was the highest point because she was so oh, lovely. Wow, for um, uh, Alice, Alice in Wonderland, yeah, yeah. yeah. And we I got... both worked on that, but I was in a different. I was working oh. for Neil, doing noses and stuff for the cards. Oh wow, cool! Yeah. So I was with Henson's, and um, and I got to design, and um, yeah, design, sculpt, and apply the makeup and paint. And so that was that was just fantastic. And then portraiture, I got a couple of figures, Benedict Cumberbatch, Ray from Star Wars. Really portraits, I was like, boy, that I'm happy with that. Really. For sure I can look at them and they're things that I still can have that critical voice going, but on the whole, I the the dominant feeling is just like absolutely happy with those portraits. And a couple of others. And then now I'm in this thing where I'm moving into what would be, if I, I want to touch wood in a rather naff, old-fashioned way. Um, yeah, I touched it. Um, and, and touch wood, I want my now, my third greedy, third dream career, which is to be a fine artist. So, so I, not just sculpting. Not just sculpting, but as a, as a, as a fine artist. So I feel, Stu, it is... Um, I, well, to put it this way, um, moving that lump of mud about to make it look like someone, um, that was hard. That is really hard, and, and it requires a lot of um, determination and a lot of patience and a lot of um, uh, technical skill to pull off. But this is 
this is this feels really hard and 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 i've i've just had one exhibition um where i've exhibited a, a piece of work called aiming for peace and it's an archer fun enough uh this woman young woman um and that was my like my first um dipping my toe into the world of art and it was fascinating because I was, I was talking to artists talking to members of the public about my work which is something you don't do as a so I, I look at it as I was a commercial artist before and now I'm trying to become a capital A artist and that's that's how I differentiate between these two gotcha. and and a, an artist is um oh it's really painful really painful and I question my own um skills and talent which i on one hand i it, on one hand it's very real and i look at some of the work that other artists are doing and thinking oh my god that's just utterly awesome and i could never do anything as good as that and then i on the other hand i can think you can see your work john and see that it is that it impresses people on a level for sure i i you know i'd be a fool to, to not see that so so there's there's this or already there's this 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 um dichotomy is that a word yeah, um yeah. between how i just feel about my own work and then there's what i want to say and then there's how i can um support and fund myself in this process it's hard but you you maybe you've already got that that to me that's that's me firmly saying yeah i'm gonna walk down that um brambled rocky path that's of course that's the path i want the fruit will be sweeter though because of it fruit of the sweet yeah or more nourishing actually is I the think I, point i think i just said the fruit of the sweet <laughs> 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 yeah the the idea of being able to talk and use words properly has never been a big thing for me but yes yes the sweeter <laughs> the fruit makes me want to go sculpt now oh makes me want to do yeah sculpt paint and get on the brush see zbrush is still something i'm i haven't i did turn a corner with it about a year ago where I started to use it and suddenly it didn't feel like this horrible thing. I didn't want anywhere near me anymore, which it had done. And it kind of feels like a thing that I, I don't want near me kind of thing. It felt horrible and ugly and I haven't, I hadn't made friends with it. And then last year I kind of sculpted some things and I was like, Oh, I get it now. It's not actively unfriendly. It's just unfamiliar to me. Mm-hmm. And that was a big deal for me because that stopped being this scary thing. Um, I haven't done a lot on it since just because this past year, weirdly, which work's taken off. It's just been loads of shows. So great stuff, but it kind of keeps you at the grindstone. So it's kept me away from doing that. Um, but I did buy this Cintiq, which is the, 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 Ooh, the lower, nice. the lower end one. It's only like so you, the 16 inch one. So, so you draw not... on the tablet, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. But it's just nicer. I mean, I didn't think I'd like it because there's a, there's a guy called Simon Weber who is a mate of mine who's made the shift over to digital, does a lot of digital stuff. And he likes just working a normal Wacom pen mm-hmm. tool because he doesn't want his hand to be in front of the sculpt. Do you know what I mean? He likes to see the, mm-hmm. the un- unadulterated mm-hmm. screen, his hand down there, which is makes perfect sense. And I've tried that and I tried the Cintiq. I thought, because I do a fair bit of illustration stuff as well and, and Photoshop stuff. And I, I really like it for that too. But I used it with ZBrush and it just feels much nicer actually really? for me with a Cintiq. Now I've seen those lo- nice big Cintiqs, the sort of 30 inch screen. And they, I'd love one of those, but they're, they're like sort of three grand or something. I just can't justify that. The cost this thing was, I think 500, the 16 inch uh-huh. one, which is, it suits me down to the ground. Um, but it's, it's, yeah, it's interesting, but I need to do more of it. And I think having printers means I can actually put things out and actually have them in my hand and, 
and kind of get past it. But uh, I just need to make friends with it enough that I do it more often that it yeah. stops being quite such a mystery to me. Yeah. It's down yeah. to me not using it properly, really. Yeah. I, the reason I was looking for my phone, because I wanted to say the girl's name. There's this, um, I think she's Russian, definitely over Russia way, um, amazing digital artist. And she does all this stuff that's very um, gamey and cartoony and stuff. But she's done a couple of pieces or two pieces I've seen where she's sculpting with ZBrush like it's wet clay. And it's like, oh, my God. I, it it hurt. It was so good. When I say it hurt, it, so it when, sometimes I see artwork. And because I guess because I'm an artist, I feel like I can look at work and it can hurt me so much that I haven't done it. <laughs> Does that make sense? Where you just yeah, think, yeah. you see something, I can do it. I could possibly, maybe. If but I, I didn't go. make that. But did. I didn't make oh. that. Oh, yeah, 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 that feeling there. And I've seen this girl with her, her work doing on digitally what I want to be able to do. Uh, and, it, and it's making it look look like clay that's it's incredible not... i've seen a few of uh chris costa have you seen um theandropus i think his name yeah. is and yeah on instagram it's a similar kind of thing where he's yeah. done these beautiful portraits and then it, it looks like it's you know it's on an armature on a base yeah. as if it's clay it's, it's like holy fuck so it's i don't know that many digital artists that's why i keep bringing him up every time it crops up because he's one of the few that i know and i i need to educate myself more on, on, the, on the good artists that that he, he's really stuff. nice that guy Theanthropos isn't he I mean, he's, I've, he's talked to me on yeah no I've messaged him a couple of times he's been very very good but yeah. I know he's very you know he works a lot on, on movies and stuff and he knows his shit really well so he probably gets you know yeah. hounded with a lot of questions so I'm, I'm reluctant to kind of pester him with stuff but um, but yeah but it's just seemed like there's a huge amount of like the amount of people that are sculpting incredible things with ZBrush like if you go to ZBrush Central and look mm you see all this amazing stuff. And in, in some ways it could discourage you, yeah. but in other ways, I guess that's just down to how you perceive it. Cause actually the fact that you can do so much, like you could sculpt something. And my mate Simon Weber does this where he'll, he'll sculpt something, but he'll also put it in an environment mm. and light it and give it a whole context. It's not just about the sculpture. Mm. And you couldn't do that as one person unless you had access to, a set and lighting and drapes and costumes. So, do you know what I mean? So it's like you can actually be in control of a lot of a, a more expansive creative output because of technology as well. So, what I found interesting is um, seeing. Uh, so I, again, I was looking this morning at this guy, and I'd seen his work, and it's hyper detailed and it's printed. And I was flicking through his page um, this morning and there was some real-time sculpts. So I was like, oh, when I say real-time, that's, you know what I mean, don't you? Yeah, 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 yeah. So I, I, I think there's room for us all, Stu. I think there's room for lots of people who do both. And I think they gain a lot. The, the people I think are awesome are, um, are, are seemingly being able to do both, isn't it? They can sculpt in the real world and they can sculpt digitally as well. And then there's people who, who can't do both and that's fine isn't it i think there's there's room for song yeah i think that definitely the thing with the digital stuff is you don't have to just do digital because that's that's often a, a kind of um a sit a, 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 a false uh adversarial position that's leveled at digital or practical as if they're these two opposing forces and they hmm. don't need to be and hmm. it takes i think you know a generation of people to use both <sighs> capably to make that go away as a conflict mm. i don't think it's a conflict that needs to exist mm -hmm. and uh, i do feel that uh the younger people coming through 
will probably make a much bigger impact certainly sooner rather than later because they're unburdened with i was chatting to on my podcast ages ago with uh, sangeet and he an expression he used which i really like was is to is to stop deifying the processes so you don't make how things are done the thing because that can hold you back from doing new things because you go well that's not how we do it we do it this way so it almost becomes an act of repetition where you you become so immersed that the magic is in the process of doing it so that prevents you from wanting to make changes so it's quite nice if you can get people that can take that but they don't have any of that baggage yeah. so they'll do something outrageous with it and make this amazing new thing uh that is just new and it's like holy shit even if you don't like that thing it might set somebody off on a new path and go huh i could do this instead and then you know with millions of people doing that i guess it, it harks back to your like that, that very optimistic and very um positive message of of, of encouragement and working towards improving rather than going well now we're all fucked now they're doing that that's what's the point you know the first place it goes to and it's interesting isn't it like you said that that's just a mindset that's a decision you've made in your head to see a thing and instead of saying photos well i can take a picture so well that's portrait sculptors fault it's just like (laughs) (laughs) it's that's not the right way to think about it is it it's it's it's, what can i do with this how can this go it doesn't have to be bad who said it's bad Uh who why why did you get to write the last page of the book that's not yeah yeah, yeah. (laughs) do you you've got children in it I, I mean, I jokingly say my daughter, sixteen, more. Um, Im- I will say more emotionally intelligent than I am, more intelligent than I am, and what do I say after that? Um, she's just yeah, quicker, smarter, and, and obviously more beautiful than I am. And I mean, I'm that's only... good to have that positive thing, but th- let's not consider. I've got two teenage boys; they can be lazy fuckers for sure. So... <laughs> for sure, but, but I yes. do think she's she's hitting the ground at sixteen and. I mean, in my world, obviously more um, intelligent than, because she's female than male, but maybe that's that's a debate in itself. But but it's just that I just feel like she's. Um, I I I'm. I, it, for me, having a child um, and watching them grow was this feeling that um, that that fueled my hope-filled vision of the world because the next generation is slightly better than the last generation because each generation looks at things and goes like I did with my dad things that that he did I think I even mentioned them things that I'm going that is unacceptable I'm not going I'm not that's not going to be part of my life Mm. and then on a generational level then my family um has just upped it up the level a bit isn't it definitely has John thank you so much It's been awesome. We've had a really good time chatting with you. Well, we've been chatting for a couple of hours before we picked up the mic. So we did a lot of talking. We did before. a lot of talking, and hopefully, we we didn't spend it all before we got to the so. <laughs> to the I recording really stage. So. But it was amazing. Thank you so much. I'll um, we'll put some links together. We'll have a chat and get some links uh, for some of the artists you were mentioning and put them on the the show notes because I think. Uh, part of my own education will be to get more familiar with these amazing Instagram artists that I don't know anything about. And there's a whole world of sculpture out there that I need to find out about. Fantastic. uh, Yeah. Thanks, man. Oh, Stu. So good to see you. It's been a long time, hasn't it? It has, man. And what a dream. I'm going away with, um, great to see a friend who I haven't seen for ages and great to have such stimulating conversation before and during this as well. But what a dream I'm going away with, with this, your workshop set up. It's absolutely stunning. Cheers, man. Thank, Thank you, you very much. <laughs> I, don't know. I love that you're just talking about um, 
some of the same books that I first started out with. I think Lee Bagan's three-dimensional makeup was the first first makeup book I bought. I, I still got mine. I love that book. I love That's it. It's great. I don't I don't care that it's probably seems dated now. I don't there's this there's a lot of good stuff in it. There's that book, the Richie Corson book. There's the Vincent Kehoe technique of the three-dimensional yeah. sorry. Key, uh, the technique of the professional makeup artist by Vincent Kehoe. Yeah, which is um, my publisher. That's that's kind of how how I got to to my book is all right because uh because of focal press um i'd used focal books for some of the other classes i was teaching in you know uh cinematography and and uh visual effects stuff and i thought god these guys put out good books i wonder if they'd be interested in in a in a new makeup effects book because kehoe's book by that time was out of print even though it was only only published in 1991 that is a very good point so we should probably put that uh list in hey have you seen the dick smith interviews by the way where no i have not uh i'm gonna have to find the link uh someone had posted um them uh it's basically five hours of dick smith being interviewed from uh from like when he was born all the things he could remember and um yeah uh, they're, they're lovely they're, I've only watched uh, about an hour and a half of them so far but I'll put the links here yeah I'd love to that. see those but those those are those are very 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 cool uh, and they're, they're not like a lot of it's not about makeup effects but it doesn't matter it's just it's just Dick Smith talking yeah Shut Dick was into all, into all kinds of stuff <laughs> he was he was very big into nutrition he had a, a regular thing in Makeup Artist Magazine for a while and yeah, it's, Dick's Corner. It's, that was it. it. It stopped being about about makeup effects and was all about nutrition and diet. And I remember him telling me that I needed to to eat better. Yeah, man. Just just cared about everybody. And now, and and now I find right. and now I finally am. Oh, that's good. <laughs> he took his board, <laughs> advice on board. About ten years. Yeah, it's one of those. Years too late. I guess man. better late than never. Yeah. True enough. So, uh, I, I guess that wraps it up. Do get in touch with us. We'd love to hear from you. You can message us on our website, which is uh, battleswithbitsofrubber.com, and you'll find a little uh, button on the right-hand side. Uh, click on that, and you can leave us a voice message. We'd love to hear from you. Yeah, you can You can ramble on for up to five minutes. Not a second longer. <laughs> five minutes is fine. Um, yeah. And then, if not... Or shoot us an email. Stuart and Todd at gmail.com or our Facebook page or on Instagram. Uh, just say hi. Just just let me know you're listening. If we don't hear back, we don't know. Let us know that. Let us know you're safe and healthy. And uh, yeah. And that you're eating right. <laughs> I know I am because I had burgers today. Well, mm, all right, dude. Cheeseburgers. Yeah. I am gonna. Good stuff, Maynard. I'm gonna go make some tea and um, sort out the audio for this and then uh yeah i'll speak to you again soon cool i'll uh i'll upload this shortly nice one man take care of yourself talk to you soon okay cheers man later take care bye-bye bye Bye. you can get in touch through our facebook page or email us at stuart and todd at gmail.com check the show notes for more information if you enjoyed this episode tell someone else and help us grow by sharing it on social media Thanks for listening.